Find out what the whole world is thinking in The Agenda. This week on The Agenda, building the future. How the developing world can fund the infrastructure projects it so desperately needs. If the developing world is to transition to a cleaner, greener future and to redress the balance with more developed nations, it's going to need to spend big on infrastructure. These are multi-billion dollar projects, so just where's the funding going to come from? Well, one man who knows is Sir Danny Alexander, Vice President for Policy and Strategy at the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, and he joins me now from Beijing. Thanks ever so much for coming on the agenda. Now, the AIIB has just had its seventh anniversary, so talk us through some of the most memorable milestones. So in the seven years of AIB, we've experienced tremendous growth. Our membership's gone from 57 uh, countries from uh, uh, predominantly Asia and Europe to today 106 members from every region uh, of of the world. Uh, We've grown our portfolio now to nearly $40 billion of of investments in in 33 of those members. Uh, And we've established, I think, a reputation for high standards, both in our governance and in the projects that we we finance and, and set out clear priorities where we want to make an impact, especially around climate, uh, around connectivity, around technology, uh, and around private capital mobilization. And so I think AIB is now very much established as a leading multilateral development bank, like the World Bank or the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, that is uh, able to uh, invest and to mobilize others to, to invest, to help especially low and middle income countries in Asia, but also beyond Asia. Uh, to achieve their development objectives through infrastructure. And how are some of the larger infrastructure projects that you're involved in making a difference? So, for example, in uh, Bangladesh, we've invested in uh, electricity transmission and distribution, bringing uh, uh, access to power for the first time to more than 20 million people in that in that country, helping people to be able to uh, study at night, to 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 power appliances in their uh, in in their in their homes. We've invested in rural roads in, in Gujarat, in, in India. We've invested in uh, green power in, in Egypt, in, in Kazakhstan, uh, and in many other countries, helping to deliver the power that those countries need, but also to power the climate transition to, to, to a low carbon future, which we know is what the, what the world needs. And so, you know, in terms of uh, development, uh, access, uh, climate transition, you know, AIB's projects are making a, a, a huge impact uh, all, over, all over Asia. Uh, and beyond. You've talked about roads there, you've talked about big electricity projects. What about some of the, the smaller schemes? So, for example, we've helped uh, the Maldives, one of our, one of our smaller members, and, and, and a country that faces huge challenges, especially in respect of, of climate change, with uh, solid waste management, dealing with some of the local environmental uh, problems that, 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 uh, that, that, that they face. And that's a, a small loan financially, but with a very big impact for that, for that uh, community. Now, obviously, in the last three years, the whole world has faced the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so we've also stepped up with our COVID-19 crisis recovery facility to uh, support many members to uh, deal with the, the, the challenges of, of the pandemic and also to support their recoveries. And some of those are, are, are smaller members like the Cook Islands in the Pacific to, to much larger loans in India and in, and in China. And so during that period of the, of the pandemic and the economic crises that have been linked to it, for many members, investing in infrastructure has been more challenging. 
And so we've tried to support those members to get their economies back on track and therefore be able to invest in infrastructure again more quickly. How quickly can you do that? Because these are uncertain times. You don't need me to, to paint that, that grim economic picture. So how quickly can you mobilise the, the funds and get these projects off the ground? So for the uh, crisis uh, recovery loans, we work in partnership with the World Bank and the Asian Development Bank. Uh, those loans can be delivered very quickly. And of course, it's part of a coordinated international response. You know, AIB as, a, as an international financial institution is playing its part alongside our peers to deliver the, the, the finances that can help those countries get through those problems. But you're right to say that for major infrastructure projects, you know, those are, those are long-term projects. And so what matters is getting the design and the standards right for the projects at the start, and then having the finance available to support the projects through the, can be five to seven years in which the project is being implemented. But then those projects are going to deliver benefits to the people of our members for many, many decades thereafter. And so it takes time, but it's obviously it's obviously worth the time to ensure that you have high quality projects that are environmentally well managed, that have social benefits, that are implemented correctly, where you have you know standards to make sure that, for example, the zero tolerance for corruption, all those things matter to the whole package of what an institution like AIB delivers with our investments. Now, you're based in Beijing. So let's talk about the recent opening, up, reopening up of China's economy. What impact is that going to have on your business and, and then more broadly to the global economy? So for, for AIB, um, of course, the impact is mainly that uh, our staff who are based in Beijing uh, can travel more easily and, and our staff who have been located in their home countries over the last two or three years are able to come back here and, and, and be based here again. Those are, those are good things. But actually, I think we've been very effective at maintaining and growing our, uh, our business and our support for our uh, low-income members throughout the pandemic period. Uh, our crisis recovery facility gave a lot of support to, uh, to, to many of our members to deal with the immediate consequences of the pandemic. Like everyone else around the world, we've managed to find ways to make use of technology uh, like this interview to ensure that we can continue to do our, our, our business. But we're looking forward also to engaging you know, face-to-face uh, um, uh, much more frequently uh, in many kinds of, 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 of forums. I think for the global economy, obviously, it's also significant. I mean, I know many uh, in, in Asia, many of, our, many of our members are very dependent on tourism as, as, as one of the uh, important components of their economy. And the fact that Chinese visitors will be able to start traveling again will make a, 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 a an economic difference. I think also, uh, you know, we live in a very integrated world economy that, that yeah, and, and China's continued to play its part in that world economy throughout the pandemic period. But obviously, people being able to travel will, 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 will make a difference. And look, we see huge challenges in the global economy. We still see the lingering effects of the, of the COVID pandemic. Obviously, we've seen you know, very serious economic challenges to do with inflation, to do with rising interest rates, to do with the consequence of, of, of geopolitical challenges, including the war in, in, in Ukraine. Uh, and all of those things um, have, a, have, a, have a major impact. So anything that can help to contribute positively to global growth over the next year or so is going to be very, very welcome. You mentioned over the next year or so, you've got five goals, haven't you, for, for 2023. So, so talk us through your vision. So AIB's vision is to invest in infrastructure that supports the sustainable economic development of, of Asia. And so that means 
uh, investing in infrastructure that supports the climate transition. You know, we, we know that uh, if we're going to have a chance of limiting global temperature rises to below two degrees and, and around the 1.5 degrees that is the aim of the Paris Agreement, then we have to rapidly scale up investment in uh, both climate adaptation uh, and climate mitigation. And mitigation means things like renewable energy. Adaptation means measures that help to protect people who are already suffering from the effects of climate change. For example, like the terrible floods that we saw in, in Pakistan towards the end of uh, last year. So that's a major priority for us. And that's part of how we support members uh, through, uh, through, 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 through recovering from this, from this crisis. But also, as, a, as an institution that's investing for the long term, we also have to build long-term relationships with our, with our clients and we build long-term programs uh, to invest in infrastructure. That's another one of our, our priorities for the, for, the, for the year to come and indeed for, for, for a number of years to come. And then as we were discussing earlier, you know, I think what marks out an institution like the AIB is the quality of our investments, the standards that we apply, the, the, the high quality in terms of uh, environmental and social safeguards, the, the value added that we can bring uh, in, those, in those areas. And so continuing to work to improve the, the quality and the standards that we deliver through our investments is incredibly important. And you know, as we build our build our investment programs in, in, in Southeast Asia, in South Asia, in Central Asia and, and beyond, you know, the, these factors are critically important to making sure that we can deliver the impact that we that we promise. You know, I, multilateral development bank is not just there as a financial institution, we're also there to deliver real development impacts. And so we have to look to both aspects of that mandate. I do wonder, though, if there is a, a bit of a clash, because you're talking about these big infrastructure projects that really have, have never been under as much scrutiny as they are now. And then you want to be greener, you want to be cleaner. So can you really get that balance right? It's hard work, but I think that we can, and I think we have been through the, the projects that we invest in. You know, we, I think we're making a difference to people in our member countries um, all, over the, all over the region because of the, the finance that we're providing and the, the quality and the value added that we're, that we're bringing in, because I think we're focused on, you know, really the, the infrastructure for tomorrow, the infrastructure that members are going to need for the next few decades of their development. And that, in some cases, is going to be quite different to what they needed over the last few decades. And I think particularly in the realm of, let's say, digital technology, for example. You know, we know that the quality of digital communications, of, of, of internet access and so on, is a critical driver of economic growth today and in the years to come. Also was a critical driver in the pandemic for how countries could manage the challenges that, uh, that a global pandemic presented. And so AIB is really adding value through digital technology and digital programs in, in, in many of our members. I've already talked about about climate change as well. So I think in all those areas, we're showing that we can make the impact in the way that we want to. And I think that's, of course, it's we've we've got a lot of growth ahead of us, but I think we've shown what can be done, and that that this institution is is a is a high quality, high standards multilateral development bank that is uh, that is green, that is growing, that is well governed, and that is global in its outlook. And so, along with that, continue. So in terms of big, ambitious infrastructure projects, let's talk a little bit about Belt and Road. And I know the AIB and Belt and Road are separate entities. They are different. But I wonder what you think the whole project says, what that says about China. So as you say, AIB and Belt and Road are, are different. AIB is a multilateral institution uh, governed and led by many countries according to international standards that those members have, have, have agreed. Uh, Belt and Road is a 
is, an, is a, a, a common platform, a bilateral initiative of, of China with, with many others. And so I think that what's important with these kind of initiatives is not only do they bring forward more investment in more projects which help to support development, but they do so according to uh, to, 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 to good standards of, of development and in the most uh, uh, modern way using using best best practices. And I think particularly what's important these days is to focus those resources on projects that are green and clean. Um, and I think that you know where AIB can add value and other multilaterals can add value is in helping to ensure that those kind of high standards are met. We're different to Belt and Road. We finance our own projects for our for our own reasons. But I think initiatives like the Belt and Road or indeed the Partnership for Growth and Infrastructure Investment or the European Commission's investment programs, these are all good to the to the extent that they bring forward more projects for high quality development. But there is a, a big debate, isn't there, around the Belt and Road being, being maybe a debt trap. And I wonder what your take um, is on that, you know, and around how, how the projects are carried out, who ends up paying for them, who ends up owning the finished results. Well, I think analysing debt sustainability and debt issues is a critical part of any, any project. It's really important to make sure that when you're investing in a project, you're doing so in a way that is supporting the positive economic trajectory of, 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 of the recipient and not causing uh, debt challenges. That's something that we analysed very, very carefully. It was actually notable in 2019 at the Belt and Road Forum that took place here in Beijing in that year, that one of the things that was announced was debt sustainability standards. And I think it's really important that those standards are, are, are kept to and, and, and implemented uh, because, you know, development investment is no use if what it does is it, if it, is it causes fiscal or financial problems in, in the recipient country. And so um, certainly for AIB and for other multilateral institutions, that is a major issue. And we, we wouldn't finance projects and indeed we wouldn't work with partners uh, unless they uh, maintained, uh, maintained those standards. You know, that said, developing countries need investment. And if the projects are well designed and high quality uh, and are going to deliver significant economic benefits over the life of the project, then those can also be an important part of improving debt dynamics rather than making them worse. And there's an alternative, potential alternative, isn't there? Europe's flagship global gateway scheme. Um, for, for developing countries looking for, for a helping hand in, in big development and um, in infrastructure endeavours, from submarine fire optics to hydroelectric dams, and if the EU means business, I mean, what would that mean for the future of Belt and Road? What would it mean for the future of AIB? Well, I think I would look at it from the point of view of our members, you know, the, the, the developing countries, the low and middle income members here in, in Asia, um, and say that, you know, if there's more finance available for good quality investment, whether it comes from uh, the, the Global Gateway, whether it comes from the BRI, whether it comes from other initiatives, or whether it comes from multilateral institutions, that's an opportunity for developing countries to mobilise finance for the investments that they need, uh, provided that's done in a way that's sustainable, uh, that, that, is, that the, the projects are to high standards, um, uh, and that, that, that safeguard things like the impact on the environment, that look after local people, especially where resettlement, for example, uh, takes place, then those projects can be very good for, for, for development. And I think what matters is that uh, we make sure that those uh, high standards are applied consistently across the investment that takes place. And certainly from AIB's point of view, you know, we stand ready to work with any partner who is committed to that, to that agenda. And you know, we look forward to uh, uh, helping 
uh, our members to mobilise the finances necessary to support their high quality development. I want to talk a little bit more about you and your, your personal experience because you moved to China with your family. I mean, how much closer do you think you are to, to understanding China, that the people, and and how the country works in relation to other powers around the world? Um, I think that it's. Uh, I mean, it's been a great privilege to be able to come here and work for the AIB. It's been very interesting learning experience and, and fun to, to to live here in Beijing, albeit the last three years. With the COVID restrictions, has been has been has been pretty challenging. Um, I think certainly working here in in China and also working with other Asian countries has helped me to understand a lot more about about how those members uh, how those members work, um, and you know not only the the economic and political differences, but also the cultural and social uh, uh, differences that, that 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 exist. But you know I wouldn't claim to be uh, to be an expert, but but I have. Uh, and still do very much enjoy the experience of, uh, of of learning about about those things. And you know, been here in in Beijing with my family for the last um, uh, last seven years, and we've all learned uh, uh, a, a great deal that I hope will stand us in good stead for the future. So, what do you think that Britain, the European Union, the United States could learn more about doing business with China? Well, look, there, there are, I mean, there are major issues in the world and there are significant differences that are quite legitimate between, between, between different countries. And uh, each, each, each country has to stand up for its own ideas, its own values, its own, its own system. Um, but I think within that, you know, taking time to develop uh, mutual understanding, to, um, to develop links between... Uh, between people is, is 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 valuable in itself, and certainly, um, you know, one of the things that that uh, the UK has benefited from is, uh, is 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 Chinese students and students from other uh, Asian countries coming to study at, at, at British universities. You know, I would like to see more British people coming to study in 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 China or in India, and and getting that perspective for for themselves. I think that would be, you know, really it's not, it's not going to solve the. The many political challenges in the world, but just a bit more understanding sometimes at least helps to see where the other person is coming from. What, what about <laughs> um, China-Britain trade? I mean, wh- where do you think the opportunities are are there now that, especially that China is open for business once again? Obviously, the Chinese market's a very important one for for, for, for British companies and 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 vice versa. Um, and I hope that as that as China opens up again, that that there'll be opportunities to. Uh, for companies to explore those opportunities, you know, I I, I come from the Highlands of Scotland. Um, you know, I see Scotch whisky is very is very popular here, and other <laughs> other Scottish produce. I was talking the other day to the to the Scottish trade representative here, and they were looking forward to um, you know more opportunities at, at that level. But you know, there there are many others where I think trade could be uh, could be developed and 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 expanded. And um, you know, again, that's that's something which is. Uh, which is good from a prosperity point of view, but also good for, uh, for, for, for letting people understand each other a little, little bit better. And what better way to do that than with a dram of whiskey? So, Danny Alexander, absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. I look forward to uh, meeting you in person and to sharing a wee dram. <laughs> Thank you. Still to come here on the agenda, building bricks. We focus on the world's five leading emerging economies. So we speak to the vice president of the New Development Bank. Welcome back to the agenda. 
Just a couple of years before the birth of the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, a similar entity was launched by the BRICS nations, the world's five largest emerging economies. It's designed to mobilise new ideas, new talents and new investments to support economic growth across BRICS countries and beyond. At the recent World Economic Forum in Davos, I spoke to Leslie Marstor, Vice President of the New Development Bank, to get his thoughts on the year to come, starting with China's growth prospects. The rebound in consumption is going to be the main driver domestically within China. There's going to be a big propeller for that growth. It's going to be bumpy. Most people agree that the first two quarters is likely to be more challenging. But the dynamism of the Chinese economy is likely to shine through in the final six months of this year that will produce that more uh, growth around the 5.5% uh, range. So the consumption, I mean, as you know, pre-COVID, more than 100 million uh, Chinese uh, people traveled, right? The tourism sector is going to be boosted. So this rebound in consumption spending is going to be a significant driver of that growth. So you've mentioned tourism and travel, but in what other ways is that going to affect the global economy? I think, as you know, China's economy is very integrated uh, with the world. China is the manufacturing hub of, of, of the world. It's the biggest export. Uh, and therefore, um, the supply chains and the extent of the foreign demand. If foreign demand is a bit more depressed, if there is a, a, a short uh, a recession in, in Europe and the rest of the world, that is going to have a very dramatic and significant impact on China. For now, the prediction seems to be that the US might go into a, a very short recession, not a deep one, and uh, Europe will also experience uh, tough conditions in 2023. China has been that driver of the global economy for, for, for decades. It's, is it going to stay that way or are we going to, to see a shift? Look, China will continue to play a major role in global uh, growth, but I think we are coming to terms with a much uh, more focus on quality growth in uh, China. The big numbers, China experiences, you know, for decades, double-digit uh, growth. That era is over. That era is over because the focus now is on the quality of the, that growth. China's focusing on, you know, the rural-urban uh, divide. The, the emerging social inequalities. China's focused on moving its investment strategy, or rather its growth strategy, away from investment towards consumption, bigger focus on the domestic economy. So its contribution to the global economy is going to be different going uh, forward. We're not going to see the 8, 9, 10% growth numbers anymore. A bigger focus on sustainability, for example, stimulating the green uh, uh, industries. There's a lot of nascent new technologies in the sustainability arena. There's a strong focus to, 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 to scale those, whether it be in sustainable mobility, electric vehicles, um, and, and so on. And how's that going to play into the work that you do? Because your, your mission is to support both public and private projects. So, so tell us a little bit sure. more about what you're doing and how it's going to be affected. So the New Development Bank is focused on Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. We are rapidly expanding. We now also have Egypt that is uh, becoming a member, Bangladesh is a member, United Arab Emirates, uh, Uruguay and so on. The bank's first major focus now is to increase its global footprint and become more of a global emerging markets uh, bank. Our mission is really to support our countries in this drive to increase their investment in sustainable infrastructure as part of the journey towards net zero. So upgrading of ports, upgrading of roads, rail, uh, building new uh, power capacity and so on. There's a massive demand in all of, throughout the emerging markets for new investments in all of these areas that I've just uh, highlighted. So everyone's signed up to collaborate, to cooperate. 
Absolutely, yeah? absolutely. There is huge interest from large numbers of emerging markets to augment their existing development finance. M many of the of the um, emerging markets are already members of the World Bank or the Asia Development Bank, if they're in that region, or the Africa Development Bank or the Inter-American Development Bank in Latin America. So we provide an additional complementary source of financing for these uh, countries. And the big focus, by the way, is on energy transition. As you know, uh, there's been a big focus on energy security here at this uh, Davos. Energy markets have been severely dislocated by the current uh, geopolitical uh, situation. So we intend to invest a great deal more in what, we, what is called the just energy transition, making sure that we can bring on board new power and at the same time ensure that we can create new jobs in those areas where there will be significant job losses, like in the coal industry, for example. Absolute pleasure talking to you, Leslie. Thank you. Thank you very much. Coming up on a future agenda, a greener China. We'll speak to the man whose job it is to put the Chinese government's eco-agenda in motion. But for now, from me, Juliet Mann, and from all of the Agenda team here in London, goodbye. <laughs>